0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Language Lounge. My name is Michelle Ola, and I am excited to have Marnina Falk here with me today. Hi, Marnina. Hi, Michelle. Hey, and we're going to talk about something I think lots of world language teachers um, are thinking about as you're either heading back to school or maybe you're just starting school. You're in pre-plan at this point when this is airing. Um, And that is like, starting to use the target language, right? And when do we use the target language? How much do we use? How do we use it? How are we going to get this all together? How are we going to do this? I think every teacher, however long you've been teaching, however, whatever level you teach at some point is thinking about approaching this, right? And and coming back to school and what's going to happen. So let's get started. So Marnina, let me ask you this. First of all, and in your teaching experience, why don't you just go first, why don't you just explain a little bit to us, kind of tell us what some of your teaching context has been um, and some of your experiences that you're going to share with us today.
1: So for the past nine years, I was a teacher at Foreign Language Immersion and Culture Studies in Detroit Public Schools. It's a really unique school. It's one of the only um, public immersion schools I know that offered four languages from K to eight and continued in high school. Uh, predominantly African-American school in the inner city. And we had Chinese, Japanese, French, and Spanish starting in kindergarten. I taught fifth to eighth grade Spanish. Uh, So it was like a, a dual immersion setting. I will say that No Child Left Behind, stresses of certain hours in the core content compounded with virtual teaching during the pandemic. I think that immersion piece was definitely, like you're saying, something we thought a lot about and wrestled with. I will say that my students left 8th grade kind of novice high to intermediate mid high in Spanish. Okay. They all placed mostly into Spanish 3 or 4 when they Amazing. left 8th grade. So they definitely reached those levels. I do think that immersion piece is definitely a big challenge when you have as a public school. I think in private schools when they don't have the requirements of state testing in the same way, there's a little bit more flexibility in terms of the core content. But um, I felt very lucky. I was in a school with all these languages, all these cultures, a real stress. Most of my students go on to AP and IB and really leave high school with the seal of biliteracy, bilingual, and it's pretty awesome.
0: That's amazing. That's that's wonderful. I, I there's all kinds of uh we're language teachers out there right now that are pretty jealous, probably. You know, some, <laughs> someone like me that was in my one little classroom, you know, all by myself in my school, sort of a thing. So um, so that's awesome. So why don't you tell me? So you talked about an immersion setting, mm-hmm. both for your school and for languages. And um, you know, there's a lot of research, and we're not gonna get into that. We'll put some things in the show notes about the benefits of that, you know, ACFL's infamous 90%, right? And all mm-hmm. of that stuff. And really all that means is we need to immerse students in language, right? I mean, you can argue about how much and you know, debate and and whatever, but okay. as much as possible, right? And I would
1: talk about like I was part of a district, right? Not all the schools in our district were language immersion. Sure. Schools, but we I helped lead professional developments and write the curriculum for our district for levels one and two in multiple settings. And I think. Whether or not you're in an immersion school like me, that target language piece is crucial because students are not going to learn a language without having that language. You're not going to learn to ride a bike without riding a bike. You can talk about that bike all day, but until you start to ride it, you're not able to do that. So I think that target language piece is really important. And I also want to stress that 90% is something to keep in mind in terms of how you set up your routines, how you think about language, it's not 100%, but that 10% is an intentional decision. And I think that that's also important that the research shows it's not cut and dry, never use English, but the goal is to minimize that as much as possible.
0: I I really think that is such an important point, Marnina, because I think sometimes, um, I'm going to just speak for myself again. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I would hear, and I do training with teachers. And, and when you hear 90%, like I get like, I start sweating and I get like <laughs> nervous. My heart like st- tightens up because it's so daunting, especially if you're not close to that. Right. If you're not, right. if you're not real close to that, you're like, I'm, you know, and then you start your thought distortions come in. I'm, I could never do that. I don't know how to do that. Right. So like, if you focus on the 10%, that you use English and you use that, you think of, you know, intentionally be about when you choose to do that. It seems a lot less scary to me.
1: It does. It gives you that choice. I'd also say a big thing with teachers and language teachers, this is a hard goal. Our job is difficult and it doesn't help you to be hard on yourself. If you have a day where you only do 50%, don't beat yourself up over it. We all have those days where a yep. lesson just goes out the window. kids. It's a full moon and the kids are just out of their minds and we're just surviving till dismissal and trying to do our best. And that's okay because tomorrow's another day to reset. And if right now I'm a teacher that's only really comfortable with 30 to 40, 50 to 60, whatever it is, yep. don't try to then tomorrow do 90% because that's overwhelming. But say, hey, How can I increase it in a small increment? How can I go from 50% today to 70% by the end of the month?
0: What could I
1: add in the target language? What could I decrease in English? And shift yourself rather than overnight changes. Because like you said, that is where I would have anxiety to trying to shift overnight.
0: Yeah, I, I think that is really important, no matter, you know, just like our students, we, we can't take the students we want, we take the ones we have in front of us, right? And mm-hmm. that's the same, We where you are is where you are, right? For whatever reason, it is where you're at. And so it doesn't do any good to shoot for an aspiration that's going to be frustrating, that you're not going to mm-hmm. be, you know, have that perseverance or whatever circumstances. Aim for that. Eventually, that's where we all want to mm-hmm. be 100%. Richard shows, that's where we want to be living. but you know, again, like being intentional, being kind, like, where is it most effective for me to use target language? Like if I can't use it everywhere, where is it the most effective? Where is it the most important? Where am I going to get the biggest bang for my buck? And being intentional. So I think that's right. so
1: important. I'm reflecting when I've had those days where I did an activity that I could have explained in Spanish and didn't reflect on, okay, if I were to redo that tomorrow, How could I have done that with target language without frustration? And really thinking through that, but not in a way of I'm a terrible teacher. I failed today because that doesn't help anyone. That's not good for you or your students. Because the sheer fact that you're even thinking about this means you are doing a good job. You are trying and you, by virtue of trying, you're going to get there.
0: Yeah. I love that. I think that is absolutely um, such a key point. You Mm -hmm. know, so I think that we've kind of talked about, Mm -hmm. I think there's a couple, There's different types of people. And, you know, it's funny because I was talking on a podcast (laughs) a while back and I don't even remember who it was. Oh, I think it was Rebecca. And we were talking about kind of, she heard about this exciting concept and transitioning to, you know, proficiency from grammar-based. And she's just like, she was an all-in kind of person. I think mm-hmm. Claudia Elliott might have mentioned the same thing, like all in, like immediately I am on the first day of school, I am going jumping in and I'm doing a hundred percent target language, no matter uh-huh. what, there's those people. And then there's not those people. Then there's people right. that are going to be more gradual and more, you know, maybe intentional or thought out or have a plan or scaffold it for themselves. What kind of person are you, Marnina, as far as your target language from day one, day two, right so- in the beginning? I think day one,
1: I would set the expectations. Day one, I did in English. It's a lot of expectations, what to expect, especially with my fifth grade who were new to me. I didn't want to scare them off and overwhelm them. So we talked day one, why am I going to use the target language? What are the levels of proficiency? What are you going to see in my class and why? Because then on day two, when I go in with the target language, they're more responsive to it. Um, I would always start, I learned from Bryce Hedstrom the special person interview. So that was my first month with special Mm -hmm. person. And I focused a lot on my target language use, my input as a teacher, that I was very intentional with using as much Spanish as possible and scaffolding in my room. So maybe I had the question words on the wall in Spanish with a small English for the kids that were not catching on, but I was not asking in English. They were Mm -hmm. hearing me use Spanish I was using things like yes or no questions, either, or a lot of circling so that I was leveraging as much target language as I could on myself, and then building them up with positivity when they were responding in the target language. And I found that in doing that by second semester, my students were also speaking a lot of target language. And I would say with my higher levels, that first month, they're still rusty. It's been summer break. They're not in school mode. It took me also a few weeks with my intermediate students to get them back and remember, hey, and here we don't speak English. And here you can. And I think a lot of it also came from at no point did I think my students would be incapable. Mm. And here a lot of this like deficit thinking of this is too hard for them. This is too much. They're novice. I can't. And I think the more you build up to look how much they're understanding and celebrating those responses... They're reaching that. I think it's it's um, self-fulfilling. I never believed my students couldn't. I believed they could. So I would say I'm a not from the very big be- day one, but in the beginning. Pretty darn close. <laughs> pretty close from me. Yeah. I didn't stress the first few weeks of my students were asked answering in English because I was more focused on building community, building trust, building comfort, and letting that go. And then I'd also say, especially post-pandemic, a big shift I noticed in myself was the social emotional needs of my students for interaction after over a year virtual. I stressed less about them birding out in English. And that's something I think I would reel in more and more as we got back to our normal. Mm -hmm. But I think an advice I would have is a lot of reflection and intentionality like we talked about. Like if they're speaking English, why? And how can I approach it? And how can I shift it to, hey, can you say that in Spanish? Or Mm -hmm. what are we working on right now? Let's refocus on the task. Mm -hmm. Or how would you, like, kind of reeling that in, um, but really focusing on, like, my students completing the tasks in Spanish, writing about their peers in Spanish, speaking, answering my questions. But yeah, I I think it's, the teacher input in my experience, and I know different people have different approaches, but me starting with myself, building those routines led to target language with my students.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a couple of things I think are so Mm -hmm. important in what you said. To some extent, all we can really control are ourselves, Mm -hmm, (laughs) you know, I mean, we, we, you know, so focusing on that, you know, setting up those systems, but, and, and I don't want to imply that oh, well, that's easy because it's not, right? There's a lot of strategies that you mentioned that you had to, and skills that you had to kind of work with as a teacher to stay in that. Because I I would say all, you know, we're language teachers, whatever you're teaching, you know the language. You could walk in and start Mm -hmm. speaking in the language, but that doesn't mean they're going to understand you. And that's where there's a lot of, you know, work that as a teacher, we can build up those skills, special person interviews, personalized you know, questions and answers, you know, different sort of things to engage. You mentioned circling or questioning techniques mm-hmm. and, and all of those are kind of skills that you've probably had to learn as a teacher who's providing, you know, target language, comprehensible target language. Right. And so, um, it, those are planned those are intentional. you're not it just is. walking in the, you're not just walking in a room and, and speaking Spanish, right um, So what are some techniques that you've you know and some skills and some strategies that you've built up over the years that are that's helping you make your language comprehensible so that there is that success of the students and not the frustration and we'll talk about some of the challenges later but yeah what are what are some of those things you mentioned? you know, so, special person interviews. Why don't you explain a little bit about that? So I think the the number one
1: thing that I think is important is thinking about how you set up your classroom and how you build like scaffolding and using your classroom. And I learned this, I observed a good friend who was in a very tough high school in Detroit and just seeing how he was able to get his students speaking the target language, excited to go to school He had posters all over the walls with key vocabulary, images, scaffolding, even sometimes it'd be big questions in Spanish, little English for that kid that just can't let go of that. But Mm -hmm. utilizing your classroom walls, I think is the first strategy. What are you putting up there? It's great to have cultural decorations too, but I think we also need to set up our classroom for communicative success having key verbs on the wall, having question words, having keywords you're going to be using for that unit. So when I do special person, which is I would pick three or four students a day and we'd interview them. With my novice, it would be basic questions. What's your name? What's your birthday? How old are you? What's your favorite color? With my intermediate, I would do conditionals. If you had a million dollars, what would you do? And it was Building community using target language. We're doing these same 10 questions every day for two weeks, reviewing and repeating. So I think another strategy is repetition. They need to hear content so many times for it to be solidified But listen and repeat drills are not how to do it. (laughs) It's finding novel ways. So special person, they're excited to learn about each other. I'm repeating that same question 20 times, 30 times. But it's exciting because it's different people. When I'm reviewing it, I do it with different activities so that we're still doing those multiple choice. I do cahoots, thermometers. They'd have yes or no thumbs up signs. Keep it moving. Keep it novel, but keep that input the same. So I think that's a big thing. I think also using tone, using body language, using images, visual cues. Uh, I know not everyone listening is a Spanish or French teacher. I will say we have the benefit of cognates. Right. (laughs) That helps a lot being intentional toning down. I also I don't speak like a robot, but I do tone down. I'll do simpler sentences with novice. And a skill I learned from a training with Carol Gobb that has always stuck with me is like when I'm doing my questioning, rather than speaking really slow that can come off condescending, I give myself times to pause and think. So I'll say, did we say Bob was short or was it Billy? So I'm not saying was Bob Sure. Like, (laughs) right. right. But you're you're letting it be your thinking, you're pausing to think and you're letting your students do that same thing. So those are a couple of my favorite strategies is kind of just thinking, how can I keep it engaging? How can I keep that same content, stay in the target language, and give them chances to practice it more and more without doing the same exact thing 30 times over?
0: Absolutely. There's nothing worse than <laughs> repitan por favor, you know, like over and right. over or anything like that, right? And so having, um, and and one of the things you brought up, what I think is also important as we're planning, because you do have to plan mm-hmm. for your target language use, right? I mean, it, it's, you know, it, not, you know, you have to have, it, it's not just easy to just show up and do it. I don't think I've ever personally, and I'm going to speak for myself, because there are people that can just show up and maybe they've been doing it a long time and they have their sort of, you know, toolkit they can pull from. Um, But as I mostly had novice level learners, um, when I was in the classroom, um, I needed to plan my visuals, I need to, Mm -hmm. to plan, you know, exactly what words I was going to say. Because, you know, there's a bunch of ways that you can say the same thing. Right. right. I mean, you could there's a, a bunch of ways you can, you know, say you like or you want or, you know, something, you know, you enjoy something, you know, but you have to focus on particular ones. Right. So you have to plan not just what you're going to say, but when there's confusion, how am I going to show it? Is there a gesture? Is there a picture? Is there an image? Is there a, a tone of voice? Is there an action that we can do? You know, all of those sort of things. Um I would have to write down, like, I need pictures of these 10 things or I right. need these available to me to support comprehension. <sighs> Otherwise, I'm going to resort to what's easiest for me, which is also translation. Sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes there's not a nice little image that wraps up an idea that is going to be clear and understandable to everybody.
1: And that's um, like another point you bring up about the intentionality. If I need to use English for something, but I'm going to leverage, I translate that to English and we can move on and use this content for half an hour. Maybe that's worth it, but that's a choice you made.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you've got mm-hmm. to think, you know, all of the consequences. And I love that. Like there's consequences of that, you know, cause I've seen teachers, um, because you know it might, and I think this is the the reflection part, right? The intentionality part. Because if I have to translate a bunch of things, am I not? Am I giving them too much? Do we have too much vocabulary that we're talking about? Can there, you know, are we too far out of the the line? Because right. if I'm translating five, ten things in a class period, they're going to go, oh well. If there's a word we don't know, guess what, Mrs. Ola is going to do. She's just mm-hmm. going to tell me, right? She's going to translate. Right. And now we're established in a habit, right? Now we're right. establishing a habit that I don't really have to figure out or look at that picture because if I look confused, it's going to be translated, right? So we also have to be intentional and aware of what we do, right, in the, in the classroom and, and why we do it and when we do it, I think. Right. And I think
1: you brought up a good point about planning. And I also want to emphasize When you're using the target language and using, like I used a lot of comprehensible input and repetition, it was a lot of planning to get those questions. I did 10 slides of special person with images and scaffolding. I put a lot of work into setting up my classroom. What are my classroom phrases that I need on the wall? Puedo, repite, necesito, all of that. But then as I'm teaching, I'm using those same slides for two weeks. So it's a lot of prep for one day. But then... I would use that same content and brainstorm a list of 10 or 15 ways I'd keep practicing it. So I think a lot of people, what I hear is a fear with this type of teaching with staying in the target language with all that prep is it's overwhelming. It's just a shift. It's a lot of work on the onset of the unit, but then the day to day you're reusing a lot. So it's not like you're having to do all of this prep every single day with your images If you start at the unit, what are the key words and how am I going to scaffold it for this week, for these two weeks?
0: Yeah. And and if they're Mm -hmm. actually going to inquire, acquire those words, those phrases, those things like you mentioned earlier, it's all about repetition, but not rote repetition, Mm -hmm. engaging repetition in different ways, different forms, different things. But, you know, we tend to add too much and we get bored as teachers. I think I get bored way before the students have acquired what they need to do. (laughs) Right. Because I'm like, dude, we've been doing this for like a week now. But that's they need the you know, that constant repetition in interesting ways. And as you build up your toolkit of, you know, strategies that you use continually and you mix those in and you kind of move those around and you play around with them a little bit, you know, it gets easier, I think. Yeah, um, definitely. but you got, but you got to get started, right? You get started somewhere, you know.
1: You gotta get started. Um, you gotta build in those games, those like little activities you're gonna do. But as I started to build my toolkit, it was also easier to plan. So it does get easier. I would have my 10 to 15 games. And every given week, I would choose five or six of those that I'm weaving in. So I'm not creating, creating, creating all the time,
0: right? Because that's not sustainable. Yeah.
1: It's, that's part of the exhaustion that comes with teaching in the target language is all this prep in the beginning, but the you yield a lot, and it's worth it if you stick it out in the beginning.
0: Yeah, I, I think that I, I think that's mm-hmm. um, very very true. Some of the things you mentioned, you know, so whether you're planning. For the lesson, and it's in January, or you're planning for the beginning of the school year, these are just some things to kind of keep in mind. Like, Mm -hmm. how am I going to give directions in class? How am I going to make sure they can, you know, I know you mentioned like hold up signs. Like, how are you going to make sure they know how to show you they understand? Even if they're not speaking yet, how can they show you that they understand? It can be as simple as, I'm going to, we're going to do thumbs up, thumbs down. We're going to do, you know, none of these things are perfect, of course, but. You know, there's going to have holdups, they're going to have whatever. But thinking these things through in the beginning is going to make it easier for you to sustain the practice.
1: And Um, another thing you just mentioned that I thought about is yielding participation through gestures, having class gestures, like something for me too, something for I agree, mm -hmm. something for I'm different, different gestures that you build in the first weeks that you utilize to build community. So they can participate, even yeah. if they're not ready to speak in the novice level, they can respond with gestures, yeah. with cues, uh, with phrases that they're getting to know. So building that. And also, like you said, something I really loved was whiteboards. I use oh, those yeah. in class so much. And if you can't get whiteboards, my friend would like laminate paper and then get dollar store dry erase markers. That works just as well.
0: Yeah, so different ways way. for students to respond. Mm-hmm. Um and again, sometimes, you know, I think to my son, him not responding is not necessarily even a language thing like that. He's not ready for out, mm-hmm. but he's just not a kid that likes to speak in class, right? right? So always offering those, you know, draw a picture of what I said, you know, just different, uh, just again, appealing to different types mm-hmm. of learners, different comfort levels and different readiness as far as, you know, the output comes. Um, but thinking those things kind of through and having some plans for those, I think is, is really important.
1: That, and I would also say a way that you can celebrate wherever they are and thinking, how are you going to positively reinforce what they're doing in the target language? I used Class Dojo and I would give participation points. And that was part of their grade, but it was also like exciting for them to see their earning points
0: mm-hmm. and
1: how many positive points a day. I had another colleague who would give tickets, like raffle tickets, when they would use target language really well and like they could buy prizes for, you know, what, whatever system you want, That's incentivizing and celebrating. And also those types of systems I also found encouraged me to point out what they were doing well. And that's also, like you said, with planning and habits,
0: that's an important one to build. I love that. I think that's great. So reinforcement systems. You know, I know um, a long time ago, and I wish I could remember where I saw it. It was a blog post from someone. Um, (laughs) If I can find it, I mean, this is way back
1: um, uh-huh. If I can
0: find it, I'm going to try and post it. But um, this this teacher educator talked about also giving um, reinforcement signals as a teacher for themselves. So, for example, if you're going and it, to and it has to do with being intentional as well, having a, a picture that's two sided that says English, one side, Spanish on the other. Mm-hmm. So as a teacher, I'm very deliberate, like, OK, I'm not going to speak English unless I turn the sign over. Right. (laughs) And I'm going to give that. Or there was another one where there was a box on the floor. And when the teacher stepped into that box, they could speak English because they needed to intentionally speak English. But it wasn't because it it kept me when I was trying to get the habit of teaching in the target language and breaking my habit of, of English or translating and things like that. It would help me positively reinforce the, the, using the target language as well. Right. So if I found myself standing in that, that little square too much, that would give me a reflection point of what do I need more strategies? Do I need to build up more strategies for the students? Do I need more things in my toolkit? Do I, you know, what, what's going on again, not in a judgmental sort of way, but in a, let's learn from this because now I'm noticing
1: Cause mm-hmm, we
0: can't always noticing what we're doing when we're doing it. Right. It's not right. that easy. Um, so things like that, you know, so maybe even setting up a way to, you know, um, incentivize your own use of it, you know, whether or not, you know, make a game of it of whether students catch you using English, you know, non-intentionally or whatever. Oh, you can have that be a class
1: job. Right. Like your English reminder. I also think, it like to your point of building this climate and structure, I think a lot about when I'm in the hallway, that's a place, place to build relationships without the target language because my class is that target language space. Thinking about that intentionally, also ways that I start class. I always started class with music playing and a bellwork assignment that's in the target language that is a way for them to shed whatever happened outside those doors in that English mindset. First hour, if my students get here from a tumultuous time at home, there's that clear transition. I think music is a very powerful tool for that. Whether or not they're understanding the language, it puts us, okay, I'm in Spanish now. Let me get in that Spanish mindset. I think it's really important to give even five minutes for both you and the students to get in that mindset. However you want to start class with that, having there be some sort of target language transition when they walk in the door.
0: I love that. I think that's Mm -hmm. really great. Not only is that, that's establishing that space Mm -hmm. as an immersion space, but it's doing it in a, in a gentle way. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I'll tell you the most exhausting, I've exhausted I've ever been in my life was, um, I've, we needed to follow a student around on their schedule for a day. Um, And so going to eight classes, 45 minutes apart, quick lunch in between, but trying to, every teacher expecting the second you walked in the door, you were now doing X, Y, and Z, you know, that whole bell to bell and blah, 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 blah. It was exhausting. Right. Mentally, physically, it was exhausting. And so something like that, again, to gently transition. I love that idea. I and think it's, that's really great. Thank writing. you.
1: And it's a good also for me, if there's a kid I need to check in with, if there's something I have that breath, I can take my attendance. I can, I don't, and like, I give them more time than they need because they also just need that moment. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Like first hour, they might just say, to say hi to a friend and then get to work. Cool. Do that. Mm-hmm. And also if I need to talk to a student in English, I pull them in the hallway because that's leaving the classroom space. We're talking. And I think, like I, I know a fear is how do I build those relationships? How do I build that community in the target language? You build community through relationships, through fun, through interaction and like engage in that way in your
0: space. I think that's so great. So that brings us to, well, mm-hmm. is, well, before we switch gears, cause I do want to get to some of the, the challenges and some of the, mm-hmm. you know, um, like you said, they're, fears, they're fears yeah. holding, not holding us back, you know, um, and before we get to that, are there any other beginning of the school year, like when you were in that pre-planning sort of time, um, were there any other things that you did? I know you you talked about setting up your physical space with making yeah. sure that you have those resources, you know, getting all those sort of things, kind of planning activities. Is there anything else that you didn't mention already that you wanted to add? I think a big thing, like you
1: said, like not setting, only setting up a space, but what are some keywords I'm going to use? How am I going to explain directions? Like I would do a lot of dibuja escribes, draw, write. Like what are the key Mm -hmm. words I need to teach that first week so they can be successful and like I don't have to constantly be explaining the same thing in English? Because I'll notice once they know those key words, they can figure out what I'm asking. I will say if I'm doing a major summative assessment, And there's a rubric and I'm going to be sending this home. Those rubrics are in English. I need parents to also be able to understand the grades. But the simple in class, get in a line, stand up, sit down, all of that. Like I'm thinking, what are the key phrases I need? First of all, have them on the wall with images, but also building how am I going to teach that in the first week and get them knowing that. I think that comes into the target language scaffolding. And I also think... Planning activities to build community for me, that was planning a special person unit for someone else. There might be a different way you do that, but building that into the beginning, getting to know you with Spanish and your morning routine. I know a lot of teachers do the calendar talk or weather Mm -hmm. talking, sharing. How are you going to write the date on the board? How are you going to review the days of the week, the date. All of that has your setup um, and a structure Another thing I think about is how am I going to capture this information if a student's absent? So how am I going to post class notes or whatever they might need to refer back to? Because with the target language, you also have to account for the people that aren't there. Um, yeah. And I learned with the pandemic when kids were in, you know, quarantine for two weeks at a time, I had yeah. to really improve that. And also, like, it puts more ownership on them. If you're absent this is where to look for what you missed. This is how to get the information. Once you've looked there, then come ask me questions, but start with you. Because when you get to college or a job, your boss isn't chasing you to remind you what you missed. So I think that's another planning piece when you're using target language. Sometimes you might need a quick class notes or phrases that we talked about today if you were absent.
0: Yeah, I, and I, I I think that's wonderful. And there, there was another thing that that touched on that, like you mentioned, you, you know, the special person interview or those mm-hmm. sort of beginning of the school year activities. A lot of times, you know, that is encouraged in all of their content area classes to get to know you and, you know, and, and do that mm-hmm. sort of thing. What I love about our language classroom is that it is, we can tie it to the content. So yes. we can do a find two truths and a lie, and we can just give them Three target vocabulary words of adjectives: Are you honest, dishonest, or whatever? I don't know, whatever it might be, and and very simple ways to both build community and to start building some. So do you prefer to draw or write? If you're doing, you know, your your right. two key, your two keywords, right? Um, I can tell the truth, or I can lie, or, or find somebody to who or whatever it might be. So a lot of those like Kagan strategies, team building strategies. I think sometimes we forget that. We can't do those necessarily in the huge five ten step Kagan process, but we can, or in the or with the content that is in the regular classroom. But we can find ways if we think hard of how we can bring those team building things in in the target language as much as possible. And
1: that also means that we're the content area that gets to start with our content from the first month. We don't exactly. have those three weeks of not te- not teaching your content. Um, but something you also said, you know, like, how do you build those? There was something you said, I lost my train, but just that idea of, you know, building that community from the beginning, I
0: think is really powerful. And even just, yeah, the whole, what is your name? My name is you're building community because again, we do, we forget those those students, you know, unless they've been in elementary school as a, as a cohort continually, they don't all know each other equally. Mm -hmm. They don't all know each other as well, um, you know, so there's a, a lot we can do um, in the wow. target language, in our content, like you said, and it's not, quote, wasting time, like not getting to the good stuff. It is the good stuff. It you know, is. Let's, and let's take say, advantage. My kids were cohorted from kindergarten to eighth grade. Mm.
1: Even my eighth graders had that getting to know you month because guess what? They are different as an eighth grader than a seventh yes. grader, and I want to give them that chance to share that and to give them not a purely clean slate. Cause we knew that yeah. they're not yeah. like a rant, but like, what do you want us to know about, you now what, what like I had a kid who was really into anime one year and really hated anime the next, they don't need to yeah. be that anime kid every year.
0: Oh, I love that. That is so, so true. <laughs> that is so true. And, and, yeah. and that opportunity that no matter what, well, how do I say this diplomatically? There are no set week one, vocabulary mm-hmm, words mm-hmm. that we need to learn. So if anime is the, you know, if there are right. specific words that are are attractive, interesting, relevant to our students, that is our content as well, right? So um, we can bring, we have that freedom and flexibility to bring in all those great things from our students about them and weave in all the other stuff as well.
1: I would also say the last thing on this that helped me is I can't stress enough how important it is to give your students the why and the context. When I spend that day in English talking about proficiency, talking about why my class is set up the way it is, that gives me so much less pushback the rest of the year. And I have like the proficiency targets on the wall. When we do something, I'll point out why are we doing this? And that is in English because then when parents, administrators, whoever comes in my room, they see what we're doing and why. And my students can talk about that. But I think that is how I got a lot of buy-in was my students understanding the intentionality behind what we do. So if we're going into English, I say, no, we need to be able to do this. This is why we shift back. And that's another powerful first week tool, however
0: you want to set that up. I think you what we that was a perfect segue into <laughs> something else that I wanted to talk mm-hmm. about, because I don't want it to seem like we're saying, oh, this is easy. You just have to start at the beginning of the year, plan a little bit, you know, it, it there are real fears and challenges, mm-hmm. right? Some of the fears are fears, and they can have solutions, right? Some of them are just our baggage that we bring in as, you know, former language learners or just as people or whatever. Um, that we can kind of, you know, problem solve and workshop to help, you know, get out of. But it was interesting because I did find a list that there was a lang chat again a long time ago. And it had a list of fears. What are fears that teachers have with bringing in the target Mm -hmm. language? Well, a couple of them we've already addressed. So one of the biggest fears was the fear of isolation and not feeling like they could get to know their students and their students could get to know them and building those relationships. I think we've kind of talked about Mm -hmm. that That there are a variety of ways to to bring that in, um, in, you know, in a positive way and getting to know them and, and that doing that relationship building is our content. So I think we kind of touched on that. Um, It is. And
1: I would Uh say it's still important because when I student taught and I was 100% target language, I didn't have those relationships as easily. It's important to have that hallway chat time. You're in the Uh hallway, you see a kid, you hear there was a basketball game. Oh, how'd it go? Like being in touch. I think that is really important outside of the classroom too, in whatever way you can.
0: Yeah. Because I, I agree, not only just for your own personal enjoyment and joy right. as a teacher, right? like we we do this because we want to have connections, right? Mm-hmm. with other students, but also if you don't aren't able to make those connections with students, you also can't adapt your curriculum to bring in their ideas. right? If you don't know that Johnny plays basketball, you might not bring in that to your right. curriculum like you could, you know, otherwise, right? So there are, Again, intentional intentionality. If if that's your intentional building those sort of relationships outside and then bringing them in, it's gonna it's gonna be even more powerful because now when you say, you know, in the target language, Johnny had a game last night, and he scored eight points or whatever in the target language, now you're like compounding those relationships, in my opinion, because you becomes your content, right?
1: And that's why I also did a beginning of the year survey in mm-hmm. English, where they could tell me yep. a lot about them. And I had that stack of paper, if I'm doing a story or something, what is Johnny? Oh, he likes basketball, I'm going to integrate whatever that is. So yeah. that's another th- a way of getting around that.
0: Yeah, another just a little this that just reminded me mm-hmm. of uh, one teacher, you know, she's like, why would I not teach the past tense right away, in order to say at least some things, because that's how you can bring in those relationships. Like so-and-so went to the movies last night. Did you go to the game, you know, or whatever like that. So she would intentionally bring in some target structures. Again, they're very simple ones, not all the grammar, not Mm -hmm. all the rules, not all the charts, but in a way so that she could make sure she felt like she was building that community, you know, with what they are doing, you know, what they did in the past and what they're Mm going to do. So yeah, um, you can, again, we have a lot of freedom that we don't always use um, as far as language you know, as long as it's intentional and structured and bringing it in. Right.
1: And none of those like talking about the weekend or about yesterday, that's still using target language and teaching our language. That is not time wasted.
0: We have a lot more freedom than other content because of that. Exactly. I think that's Mm -hmm. a really good point. So another one that you started to bring up that I wanted to kind of, and you addressed part of it, but I want to see if there's more. And that is fear of resistance and resistance can mean resistance from the students It can be resistance from parents. It can be resistance from admin. It can be resistance from other teachers. So what are some ways or have you experienced or know about or try to mitigate some of those that fear of resistance from outside parties.
1: So I think fear of resistance from students, in my experience, I can only speak to that, often comes from an insecurity on their end. They're resistant to speaking the target language because they're afraid of making a mistake. They're afraid of looking stupid. They're afraid, whatever. They've got so, fear. Right, right. <laughs> so like making it a safe space. I make mistakes and I'm intentional. About being, Oops, I'm sorry. Whoops, haha, it's fine. Move on. I also tell them, like, you're not going to learn without making mistakes. And if you spoke perfectly, you would be the teacher, not me. So let's just get rid of this. Like, if they apologize, I was. why are you sorry? Thank you for giving a learning moment. I think that making it a safe space, if a student's really resistant, having that one-on-one conversation with them, something more is usually going on. So I think that. Fear of resistance, like resistance within yourself or your department, I think also can relate to this is really hard. This is overwhelming. This is a shift, a lot of anxiety. And that's why I started by saying, meet yourself where you are. Don't go to night and day change and do a slow shift to make it less overwhelming. Our jobs are overwhelming enough. We don't need to get in our own ways and make it compounded and, and unimaginably difficult. I think that... From the outside, from parents or administrators, I think showing the proficiency levels and the actual framework gives you the why and shows that's how we do this. And this is why. Mm -hmm. And I talked a lot about data with my parents. Like, after a few years, I talked about, like, these are my high school test scores. And ever since I started in the target language, you'll see how much they're increasing. So there's that. I think. The framework and the standards, and like, I think that we're in a data-driven world. We're in state test scores determine the quality of a school. So if we can talk about the standards, if we can talk about the research-based framework that we're
0: required to utilize, it's kind of hard to push back or argue against that. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It it (laughs) is extremely. I'll never forget one time I had an administrator come in and said, I'd like you to make sure you do it in English because myself and other students don't know Spanish. And, and I frankly just had to say, so these are the standards and the expectations of my field are this, are you telling me to go against the standards and the <laughs> professional conduct of our, of my profession? He's like, uh, no. <laughs> so i I'm like, right. Okay. So let's talk about it a little bit more. Right. You know, let's, let's say the why. And, and, and a little humor goes a long ways. Like I grew up learning language a certain way. Many of the people that are resisting are resisting because they learned it a certain way. So their expectation is a certain way. Right. And so resetting their expectation, like, yeah, you know, that was how I learned it. But I'm a language geek. So it worked for me. But, you know, 95% of my class don't know any Spanish because it didn't work necessarily. That's
1: that's where it comes. Like, if I have an administrator observing me, I always pull them aside, explain what we're doing and why. Mm -hmm. They see on the wall, the proficiency levels and the actual best practices. Um, and I think with, with parents, like on curriculum night, I always do a mini like target language demo and then show them. And we talk about, like, I was just saying, what's your name and are you happy or sad? It's a 32nd thing. What did I do that helped you understand and produce? And look how much you learned in that short time. That's what it feels like being in my classroom.
0: Yeah. And and that is a effective. powerful, powerful strategy. Mm-hmm. We used to, so I used to bribe my students to bring their parents <laughs> to the night. Cause I'd say, <laughs> oh, I'd say, I'd say remember what I did to you on the first day and how we did that. And I didn't <laughs> speak any Spanish for that short chunk. And you guys figured out and they're like, yeah, I remember that. Cause we'd uh-huh. always have it like our, our, that night was maybe a year, a month after and I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to do that to your parents. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, really? I'm like, exactly, exactly the same, <laughs> just shorter. And they'd be like, okay. And so they're bringing their parents, and their parents are doing what they did. And, yeah. it, and at that point, the kids would always come with the parents. And so they're mm-hmm. like, I eh, see that, <laughs> you know? But they also had a real sense of like pride, like, oh, man, yeah. A month ago, I, you know, I understood that a month ago, and boy, I knew way more than that now, you know? So again, you know, those positive sort of interactions that they can experience. Um, you know, I think that goes a long, a long way. There's always going to be some just oppositional resistant people (laughs) out there in the world, but we can't let ourselves get, you know, derailed, um, you know, because of that.
1: To your point, you're not going to make everyone happy. If you've tried all those things, they're still resistant and complaining. Let them be the minority Mm. and let your outcome speak for themselves.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think you sort of touched on another one, um, fear of making mistakes. I think, you know, being very intentional, like you said, about like mistakes are learning. If you're not making mistakes, you're not learning, you know, if that's the, in life, in everything, right? And giving, mm-hmm. you know, strategies to help them cope with some different, you know, because there is real anxiety. I mean, I I, have said before, like every language teacher at some point should be trying to learn another language because you forget the anxiety of not knowing what's happening, not, you know, the discomfort of not being the expert in the room. Right. And doing that. And so like there are real emotions going on in our classrooms that we do want to make sure we directly talk about in some way, you know, um, and model, I think.
1: And I think it also a thing with mistakes is being intentional. We've talked a lot about intentionality of how you correct and what you correct. Yeah. And that's a whole nother podcast, right? And that's right? Like, it is. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. Like, yeah. I'm yeah. always very like subtle with it. Like if a student says something wrong, I'll just repeat it back correctly or I'll give them options. And I don't correct all the time because the focus, especially in novice and even lower intermediate, which is the bulk of our students, unless you're teaching predominantly Spanish four or level four in AP, you're teaching students that are expected to make a lot of mistakes. Yeah. So then like expecting that and also not correcting every single one makes it safe to also produce. And I won't go diving. Yeah. Into, like, I know. Cause ah. there
0: is a, there's a <laughs> lot of research about error correction and that even when we are doing it, we're doing it wrong. So like, yeah, there's mm-hmm. a ton there. So I, but I agree right. like be, you know, if you're correcting every mistake, obviously that fear of making mistakes is going to be ramped up. Right. So, right. Um, of course, um, the last one that I, I thought was interesting, and I think there's some, I've noticed there's some, I don't want to say debate, but there's some, you know, different perspectives on this. And that is just the feeling of discomfort, not, not mm-hmm. fear, but the, the, the fear of everybody not fearing comfortable and discomfort And I think there's some that are like, you know, we shouldn't have that, that makes it a non-safe environment. And I think there's others that are more like discomfort is part of learning anything new and it can be good. Like there is some, because if you never get used to discomfort, you're never going to travel. I mean, I'm very uncomfortable when I travel to even Spanish speaking countries, because I still don't know everything. Mm. I never will. There's regionalities when I went, you know, up to Maine. There were phrases they used that, yeah, I don't use, you know, there's different things. So there's some level of discomfort. Um, but I think teachers, have you have, what do you think about the feeling of discomfort? And is there productive discomfort? Is there ways that you both reduce it and encourage it?
1: So I think I there's curious. a very big difference between feeling unsafe and feeling uncomfortable. And I think that comes down to environment. Discomfort, like this is challenging and I need to work through it is one thing. It's different to say, everyone's making fun of me and I can't Mm -hmm. do anything right. And I think that's where classroom environment is so important. That is where, and I will say an English piece, if my students start making fun of mistakes, we are going to stop class, put on that English sign, make a circle and talk about it. Because that is devastating to everything I've created. That is an absolute non-starter. If we cannot make people feel safe, we cannot learn. Once I have that safety, my students are feeling safe and it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to struggle. It's okay for me as a teacher to have a hard day and say, hey, like not feeling like my like I did that great. I'm sorry. Let's try again tomorrow.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Discomfort is where you grow, but only when you're in an environment that fosters that. So I think that is a piece of that. And I also think discomfort needs to be met with success. So I think... To have that piece where you can sit in the discomfort is to see your growth. And for a student that's a slower language, we have like people that are not great at learning languages, you need to celebrate the littlest success. Like, hey, Johnny, you just answered a question. Good for you. Look at that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's another thing to combat that we're not going to get rid of the discomfort altogether, but we can create an environment that fosters discomfort resulting in growth and positivity.
0: I think that's the perfect way um, to kind of, to explain that. And I also think wh- while you were saying that, something that I ha- hadn't considered is that one person's discomfort could be another person not be feeling safe. And uh-huh. so, and so like we all have our own emotional things and our own mm-hmm. things that we bring in there as well. And so, you know, that, that's part of it as well, but I, I like that distinction. And again, is. Um, I think that is really, you know, really an, an intentional and an, an important way to kind of address that. And,
1: like, you have to watch those signals in your students because a student that goes from uncomfortable to unsafe is going to go to fight or flight. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot of fights at a lot of flights.
0: Yeah.
1: And that is where you need to, like, that is a thing, like, discomfort. And I always lift that. I know it's challenging. Thank you for staying with me. I know you don't totally understand this language we're using today, but I promise you by next week you will just stay with me.
0: Mm -hmm. I think that's uh, great. Yeah. Is there any other, um, Challenges or any other things that 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 hold that you feel like either have h- held you back, um, maybe in the past, or or that you see holding your students or other teachers back that you that we haven't mentioned that you wanted to bring up. I think
1: two things that I think a lot about as challenges for me is one, time constraints. Mm. If I have this elaborate activity, I have to make that intentional decision: Do I want to go through the charade of explaining in the target language? Or is this a moment where I need that 10% English to explain the activity and move on? So I think that's Mm -hmm. a challenge of like, what are you trying to yield? And how do you structure that for success? I think it's exhausting to stay Mm -hmm. in the target language. I think building those routines are helpful because when it becomes a routine, it's less exhausting. You're not doing something new every day. Yeah, Um, And I think another challenge really that I face is students blurting out in English. And I think that is my biggest challenge with the target language and something I don't know if I have the perfect answer besides saying, like, I focused a lot on what we were doing within the instructions, within what we were learning, within the classroom I created, and focusing on that and uplifting that. Um, But it, it is totally, that's a huge, I think, social emotional challenge, especially I taught middle school. So like, they blurt out
0: anyways, <laughs> right? English, English, other language. It doesn't matter. Grunting noises. Yeah. I taught in middle school too. So, um, you know, so I, I totally, totally get it. Like there's some things that you're not going to control. Like that's developmental too. Right. Um, but I, I, I like the, what you said though, okay, because contr- what you could control in your environment, mm-hmm. because what I think if I start getting frustrated with their blurting out now, what am I going to do? Right. I'm going to have issues. I'm going to start having negative sort of feelings about the class in the target language. I might start lecturing them in English. I might start, you know what I mean? Like right. it's going to wear me down as well. If I'm obsessed with their role right. in this to an, a point that I can't control. Right. Obviously you put, make your systems, like you said, but at some point it's, there's, there's things you can't control, like worry about what you can maybe. Right. Um,
1: and that's the, it's good enough. Yeah. I have stated the target language. My students are using the phrases we're learning and they are growing. And let's focus on that.
0: I, I will say like, yeah. I have heard that sort of phrase, like do good and move on. Right. At some point you kind of <laughs> have to like, as teachers, right. sometimes we're perfectionists. Right. We and sometimes mm-hmm. we have unrealistic expectations of ourselves and of our students. Right. And so sometimes, we're doing good, and then we're moving on. Otherwise, we're going to get to a negative place, right? Where we're not loving this because we should be loving the language and loving the, you know, opportunity to present it. Um,
1: right, which and can I think be that's challenging. Like the bottom line, when we talk about this, I think if people are listening, get nothing else. It's meet yourself where you are and push yourself just a step further. Do what you can and don't expect it to be perfect. And as long as you continue improving and reflecting, you're getting there. And as long as you're trying, you're doing half the battle.
0: Well, I think that just, there we go. That's it. (laughs) We we can't say anything else after that because that really does, you know, kind of encompass what we, what we wanted to talk about. So as you are approaching the beginning of the school year, you know, we hope that, you know, you're approaching it with optimism and with, you know, um, you know, intention as far as target language goes. And, uh, we, we really wish everybody, you know, luck. And there's a lot of communities out there. We'll put some resources in the chat. Like we can put some uh, links to the special person interview that Marnina mentioned, you know, we'll put some resources to help, um, to help you with both making it, um, comprehensible, the language, but also maybe some of the routines and the things that, that we've seen over the years. So we will, we'll work on that. And I just want to thank you again, Marnina, for coming and talking about this and thank you everybody for listening and, and, um, Have a good start back to the school year. Thank you.